0: Howdy doody do! We are back for the IBS Freedom Podcast. Did you like that new intro, by the way? I feel yeah, like I I, did. I had to mix it up every now and then. I am joined by the radical, amazing, bodacious Amy Hollenkamp, R.D. Yay! And
1: today I'm we're talking
0: about exercise. Yeah. Ba bum bum. You, you wanna <laughs> you wanna start us off a little something something, my dear? We'll get this party started.
1: Yeah, exercise is is definitely something that I talk about a lot with my clients. I think it's something that has been paired with food and digestion since the beginning of time. Because, I mean, in the past, as hunter-gatherers, we'd have to go forage or hunt for food. So there was this, like, need to exert energy, and then you got the food. And I think now, because everything's so widely available, convenience items, we're not having to go out and hunt for anything. We just have to go to the store, which sometimes the store is not necessarily the best environment. So there can be- Sometimes a hunt. Yeah, sometimes it can be a hunt. But I think that because everything's so accessible, it sort of has decoupled movement with eating, But there are certain things that movement does that helps to prime digestion. It has a a digestive priming effect. And I think that that probably exists because of some of the evolutionary properties of we would go hunt and gather food and then we'd eat it. And so there were certain mechanisms that the body would do based on movement, based on if you were moving and then you're probably eating thereafter. So I think that that's an interesting thing to just reflect on. And I also think that there's a lot of microbiome positive effects yeah. for with movement. And it's an area that I feel like almost like stress management or sleep or a lot of the lifestyle mm-hmm. stuff for gut issues isn't necessarily emphasized as heavily in the functional space. Maybe they say, oh, you need to like, manage your stress or you need to be sleeping well or you need to be moving like it's very basic but there's not really much coaching around it or much support on how to go about incorporating movement or what might be the best option for you or what's the best option like intensity wise for gut issues so there's a lot of nuance to think about from a movement standpoint but in general movement's pretty positive for the gut if done like effectively and not overdone and that sort of stuff
0: Yeah. And I think you just touched on something really important, which is that there's like anything else, like water, which you're drinking right now, like sleep, like alcohol, there's usually a sweet spot in human physiology that we want to tap into. If Mm. you exercise 0% of the time, you're going to have kind of a baseline physiology. If you exercise some normal appropriate amount, then you will be less inflamed and your physiology will work better and you will build bigger, stronger, better muscles and blood vessels and mitochondria. If you work out too much, then you can become more inflamed and more dysfunctional and more impaired. So you don't want to tip the scale to a point where you're totally burning yourself out. And it can be really, 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 really hard to assess that on yourself and be objective. And I know because I've been there. And you were a runner, right, in high Mm school. You did cross country. So did you ever
1: get into overtraining territory? I know you said that you had, like, the female athlete
0: triad, right? And you lost your period.
1: For sure. I definitely feel like sort of, I think, coming from a family that my dad was, like, a marathon runner sort of sets Mm -hmm. you up for not really understanding limitations so well. True. Like, when everything is, like, Giving 110% all the time. Or and not I giving think, up
0: no matter what, end of story, you're going right, to fall across that
1: finish line. Right. It. Exactly. And I was always sort of the, as an athlete, very scrappy. So, like, very intense, very mm-hmm. like putting all my energy and effort into whatever I was playing. are opposites in so many different ways. Oh, I, really? So, I love it.
0: you weren't yeah. the scrappy type? No. <laughs> No, it actually, like, when my physical performance went down as a consequence in retrospect from the bad concussion and the back problem starting and the inflammation probably starting after I drank creek water. Mm. (laughs) Go back to episode one if you haven't heard that story, folks. But after that whole kerfuffle and my erg scores got much worse and, like, my physical performance just never was the same, I remember, like, one of the ways my coach tried to motivate me was he was like, just ugh, like, I want you to just, like, unleash everything (laughs) on the ERG, and I want you to, like, rip the ERG, An ERG is a rowing machine, by the way, guys, I want you to rip it to shreds, and, like, go crazy on it, and, like, ah. and I was, like, (laughs) that's not me, like, that's, no, like, no, that's not what I do, that's not my personality, that's not my temperament, like, I'll work hard under the right conditions, but I'm not gonna go, like, take out my rage on a piece of exercise equipment. Like, that's just, no. Like, how much testosterone do you think I have in my body, please?
1: Well, and I think, too, like, I wouldn't necessarily say I would be, like, like, I was a very quiet, like, I I feel like for me, when I played, I was a very quiet but very, like, intense player. So, like, I don't think I would have liked that either, where someone was, like, you know, trying to hype me up. I'm just like, let me just do what I'm, my job. It was a very, like, 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 masculine energy
0: kind of tactic
1: right quite right
0: never jived
1: right but i i think something you said earlier when you were talking about like the whole inflammation like how if you're doing exercise right it generally decreases inflammation and then if you're overdoing it it's going to lead to more inflammation and more dysfunction and i think again it's interesting to think of exercise as a horm- hormetic type yeah. activity Or yeah. like hormesis is just this phenomenon where you have like a stressor, like a yeah. small stressor, that then your body's response is very anti-inflammatory to it. So like yeah. the overall effect is a is a benefit. As um, long
0: as your body can keep up with it.
1: Right, right. So there might be like a point if you're exercising too much where the stress is so high that the body can't recover or or actually produce the anti-inflammatory effects that are going to lead to like muscle building and getting stronger and being more resilient, there's a level of activity where the body is just like, hey we're tapped out and we can't do any of the the beneficial things in, in the muscle rebuilding things if you're totally strung out because you're overworked from an exercise standpoint.
0: And I want to make two points. And I guess we're like accidentally slash intentionally covering overtraining first before we get into the benefits of exercising properly, which I'm I'm game for. But I would say a couple of things from the overtraining perspective is, A, it's damn near impossible to objectively come to this conclusion on your own. Mm. Right? Like, I don't think hardly anybody who's ever overtrained and become aware of it has become aware of it because they just one day were like, I think I'm overdoing it. Like usually there's some psychology at play, right? right, Of like people who are very intense, people who have have role models who are very intense with exercise, a coach that's very intense, or maybe like people who are addicted to their stress chemistry or people who like go for a 15 mile jog to burn off steam, or it's like a coping mechanism for their stress. Right. Those people I think are prone to this, but whatever the case may be, it's damn near impossible to be totally objective and find this on your own. So one of the telltale signs is, and this usually doesn't go well, but if somebody in your life has suggested to you that you might be overdoing it, I would take that seriously and really try to zoom out Mm. and be objective and take their advice seriously or take that criticism seriously. And, you know, they're probably observing something that you cannot. And I know like for me, I, I, definitely overtrained myself. It was sometime during my senior year of high school. And, you know, like I had a reason for it. I was trying to improve my ERG scores and improve my rowing to a point where I could get an athletic scholarship for college. So like, that's a pretty big deal. I wanted to be a rower in college and I wanted to get paid for it. So I had the reason to train that much, but I still burned myself into the ground. And for me, it was a combination of, I think I got some blood work done. And like, Mm -hmm. I was a bit like anemic and i think that was around the time when i had mono and i didn't realize it and i was like oh Mm. the doctor was just like bt dubs your monocytes are really high you probably have mono but it was actually my coach thank god he was not this was not the coach that was super like i want you to rip the herb to shreds like that was not Mm -hmm. the same coach my high school coach was actually pretty mentally balanced and like all around good guy and more in tune with some aspects of, like, his feminine side, not overly mm-hmm. uh, right. overly driven by testosterone-type tactics. And he was the one who sat me down and was like, Nick, I think you've actually overtrained yourself. And he made me take a two-week break. And I was so pissed. Mm. I was really mad. Because I was like, no, time is of the essence. I'm a senior in high school. I've got to train, train, train so I can get my ERC score down so I can get an athletic scholarship. Time is of the essence. But it was the best thing he could have done for me. And, yeah. you know, like my mom was kind of supervising and making sure I didn't get on the rowing machine at home because I had one at home and he yeah. was he was basically didn't allow me to practice for two weeks, but it did give me some time to recover. And then I was more aware of not burning myself out from that point forward. Yeah. I don't think I I don't think I was hundred percent perfect correct, with correct. that. I think I still burned myself out in different ways but it wasn't ever to that degree again. But I remember, A, somebody else had to tell me that I was burning myself out and I did not like hearing that. And he forced me to take a break and I was very mad. So it could be a bit, it could be a bit dicey to suggest this to somebody. And if you've ever been told this, you probably have gotten real pissed at them. But if somebody in your life has told you that, I would say, A, listen to them. The other point I want to make is that the amount of exercise that results in overtraining is going to be unique to the individual Hmm. so you might think like i'll use you as an example you grew up with a marathon runner so to you you might think oh i don't have to worry about the overtraining until i get to a certain level until i get to marathon running status but you know it's it's kind of like the um the phrase that I've heard is that the person who drowns in two inches of water is just as dead as the person who drowned in the ocean. Right. Right. The quantity of the exercise might not matter that much. Similarly, overtraining for me right now is going to be different than overtraining for me back when I was in like the height of my physical performance as a rower. Mm -hmm. And overtraining for me is going to be different from you. And that's going to be different than a 400 pound person who barely can move Like, obviously, if you make that person run a marathon, that's going to be overtraining for them. But even something like taking a two-mile walk might really overtrain somebody who's that deconditioned or somebody who's under a profound amount of stress or somebody who has cancer or has a lot of inflammation. Those people are going to be much more prone to overtraining with a minimal amount of exercise compared to what we would typically think of. So don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're safe because you only do X amount of physical activity. You could overtrain yourself at practically any degree of physical activity. It's just what is appropriate for your body, what is good for your body, and are you overdoing that, and are you giving your body less time than it needs to actually recover from that physical activity? That's what actually matters.
1: Right. Well, and I think you brought up a couple points I'd like to uh, expand on. So I think one thing you sort of alluded to is that, there's a personality type, too. And I would say in the past, I've been this personality type yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm so stressed. I need a physical release.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's almost like it becomes a little bit of an addiction where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm so stressed. I need to physically release. But it's just at that point, it's almost adding more stress to yeah. the system. Like you might get some release by doing it. But at the same time,
0: distraction for a while,
1: right? But it's not. I I think there's people like clients that I'll work with, and I'll sort of notice this pattern with certain clients where it's like, you know, they're they're like, oh, I manage my stress by working out and exercising, and I'm like, that's great, but I almost think there should be another, there should be something else that you're doing where you're actually being somewhat still to help with with stress too. And to help kind of reboot, not saying that, like, movement in general can't be helpful with stress. But I think if it's the only thing that you're relying on, you might want to d- diversify some of your your stress reducing activities. Um, yeah, and and I
0: think it depends on the movement, too.
1: Right. Like, there right. are
0: certain types of movement where you're going to get a lot more stress chemistry. You're going to get a lot more testosterone and a lot more right. adrenaline. As a result of that so theoretically you know if you were to do high intensity interval training or heavy weight lifting or something like crossfit or something that's like really intense or really heavy those are the things that are going to tend to release these chemicals that go with the fight or flight response mm-hmm. so if you're already in fight or flight and then you're lifting really heavy or you're doing a lot of sprints Or, you know, in the rower's world, if I got on the ERG and I did 500-meter sprints and I just kept doing these intervals of 500-meter sprints all out, balls to the wall, that's going to be more adrenaline, more cortisol, more testosterone-inducing, and then that's going to lead me more toward burnout than potentially doing, like, a steady-state 5K row or going for a three-mile jog at a more moderate pace. So I think the type of exercise, or like yoga, yoga is exercise, but especially some of the more like slow, methodical, like stretch-based yoga or like like breathwork type yoga practices, that's going to be quite a bit different using exercise for a stress relief, doing that with yoga versus, you know, like heavy lifting or crossfit or something like that those are going to be two different things physiologically
1: right and i think like one thing to think about too and this is something i talked about with lucy mailing um or maybe she talks about it in some of her blogs i, I can't remember when i talked to her if we brushed on this topic but um lucy mailing she has a good series on exercise in the gut maybe we can link to it or something um, Yeah, we
0: can link to it in the youtube description but it
1: Yeah, but it's a four part, it's a four part series, but she talks about how like higher intensity, more high intensity, more aerobic type movement, especially if it's for longer periods of time. And depending on the person, it could affect the gut in different ways, but when you're doing a lot of like higher intensity movement, there's a lot of blood flow leaving the center of your body, so like leaving the gut. So you get a lot of blood flow, nutrients, and resources leaving the gut. Mm-hmm. And it can lead to a couple different things that happen. First off, the gut is more in a hypoxic state. So it's, not, it's getting less oxygen. And over time, and there's different studies that have different thresholds of, you know, is it at the 40-minute part of, like, doing a run that you're getting that? Like where it starts to get sure, it's different for each individual person, right? Well, and that's that's something that Lucy talks about too. Is there's adaptations in athletes that they develop like more tolerance to the heat changes, especially Mm. so like your your heat, your body temperature rises, and that also affects gut function. So I think the main thing too is that you know you don't want to go from not exercising to doing a boot camp class especially if you're having gut issues already, because it's going from like, okay, doing no movement or like little movement, maybe walking to like really high intensity exercises that are can be a little bit more stressful to the gut if the gut's not used to it. So it takes building up. So like she says, if you build up the movement, the gut's going to tolerate more moderate to high intensity movement. Um, Some people's guts too, from a healing standpoint, you might need to reduce the movement intensity, just depending on how you're responding, because I think there's also the people that, you know, they've been doing high intensity for so long, they're not getting the horm- horm- hormetic effect that we were talking about earlier, yeah. because they have other stressol- other stressors, and their gut's are already stressed, and they're just in a little bit of a vicious cycle, so they almost have to cut back a little bit, but I think, again, like knowing that there is Cha- physiological changes that happen in the gut when you're doing more high intensity exercise that can lead to more kind of blood flow going to the limbs and not to the abdominal you know organs like the gut and that can lead to changes and breakdowns if you're not careful and again if you've been doing it for a while and you've trained appropriately it might be less of an issue But it's something to keep in mind if you're doing, like, more high-intensity exercise to understand how your body's tolerating it, I think, is important.
0: And I think that's a really good point, is, like, I think all of us understand this on some level, that you need to work your way up more gradually with exercise. But, likewise, I think that there's a certain, dare I say, personality type, and a certain, maybe, history of, of the person where, like, okay, for me... I'm normally big on baby steps, little steps. I'm cool with that incremental progress in my life. But now there's like this one specific little brain lesion in my head (sighs) that now, because I was a competitive rower for X amount of years, I have in my mind the numbers that I need to see when I get on the rowing machine. Mm -hmm. And I have the pace in my mind that is the appropriate pace to do for a 2K or a 500 meter piece or a 5K. And it's like when I get, especially on the rowing machine, but I get this with the treadmill too. um, It's like one neuron in my head is like, you should be holding this split. You should Mm -hmm. be running at this pace for this many minutes. And it's like that neuron in my brain is not aware that I've aged 15 years. (laughs) You know, like I'm not 21 anymore. Right? Like I'm 35. I'm not going to be capable of busting out I don't even know what my ERC score was, like a seven-minute... Right, you're also not
1: training today. every day for like yeah, two or three hours a day. Yeah, training every
0: day for right. hours a day. So being mindful, A, if you have any sort of experience with athletics, like competitive athletics, just be aware of that brain lesion. And I don't know how to make it go away because I haven't fixed mine yet. But for me, one of, the, one of the fixes for it is to actually not get on the rowing machine, at least for this point in my life. Because I feel like I don't have that ability to balance and modulate it as much as I could. And I'm going to overtrain myself. So knowing that. But also, likewise, I think, like, the people who are more addicted to their stress chemistry, trying to band-aid their stress or manage Mm. their stress with exercise and, like, run away all of their troubles, you know, weight lift away all of their troubles. um, And dare I say more of, like, the high-strung, anxious, stressed-out type A kind of Mm -hmm. people of the world. I think are going to be a little bit more prone to this overtraining thing but that being said i'm about as tight being laid back as they come and i still overtrain myself right so it's not that the laid-back people of the world are immune to this it's just i think that number wise i bet that the high-strung type a's are probably much more prone to this because it's like you have it in your head that you have to achieve 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 and one of the ways you could do that is with physical performance or physique
1: yeah yeah and i think again like personally i know if there was a gap like where i wasn't running as much or something like whenever i would jump back into it it was like okay i'm jumping back in at like three miles and it's like that seems like a a bigger jump if i haven't run in like you know three months or something to jump back in at three miles so i think again it's always important to understand how your body's responding to things as well so like one thing i'll tell my clients too is like how are you feeling after movement because yeah, what like that's something I hear all the time it's like oh I had this like bad flare of my symptoms um and you know and I'm like asking them about it and we figure out okay they're getting more flares every week when they go to their trainer and I'm like there's this one or specific client run. right or after a long run where they eat really quickly after they ran and I think in that case, like, I wonder a little bit in that case, if blood flow hasn't returned yeah. to the gut quite yet. Yeah. Um, and so there's these, like, there's these scenarios that I see with my clients where they're getting clear episodes post-movement. And it's whether it's, like, more fatigue, like, feeling run down. Some yeah. are more gut-specific. Um. But it's something to ask yourself. I think that's a really good question is like, how are you feeling after your your workouts? Is it or do you feel pretty normal? Maybe slightly more energy? That's probably what you want. If you're like, if there's any major fluctuations in energy, I might be a little cognizant, like sometimes even feeling like major energy boost and then a crash. Could be something to pay attention to. Some people feel again just more depleted after workouts. And again, this is something that doesn't really come naturally to me to monitor that myself, but like that's something that I've had to do is like literally ask myself, okay, I did this workout. How do I feel? Because within the workout, I'm not good at being like, okay, I'm overdoing it. Like if I'm working out with the group that I work out with, like I'm rarely like, oh, this is too much for me. Um, but after the fact, I can say, okay, that was a little bit too much. I can adjust it next time. Yeah. So, like, that's something that I think helps me. Um, and that's
0: a n- point too. The group setting, I think, objectivity is hard to come by when it comes to gauging how much you're overtraining mm-hmm. yourself or burning yourself out, or how much you're overdoing it. And then you throw in a group setting, right?
1: <laughs> Forget right, not. right? Because
0: now you're comparing yourself with each and every one of those other people. And you're like, oh, if Sandy can do it, I can do it. If Bob can do it, I can do it. And that's not always true. Again, the person who drowns in two inches of water is just as dead as the person who drowned in the ocean.
1: (laughs) Dead is dead, man. (laughs) and, And I think that, like, my... I think sometimes there's, like, different periods of time for me where, like... Oh, I can rip through this workout class for these three months. And then, like, you know, I have a little bit more stress in another area of my life. And it's like, oh, shoot, like I can't, or my sleep's a little bit messed up for a week or something. Like, there's always other factors. And I think the other thing I would mention about people that train pretty hard for stuff is the need for calories. So there's already a usually a calorie deficit in the clients that we work with i mean that's usually more the trend and so i get a lot of clients that are athletes maybe like weekend warrior types it's not necessarily that they're like completing major things but they're maybe doing more high intensity stuff or moderate intensity to high intensity stuff on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and i feel like in women in particular women in particular like have not been taught how to like fuel for Exercise, I feel like that's just not a part of the makeup of like growing up as a woman to where you really have a good understanding of of eating for per- performance. And I think that there's an aspect of uh, stress that comes from like over maybe maybe a tendency to overdo it. Even if you're you feel like if you were getting enough calories, you might be okay. But there's a yeah. there's a subset of people that I work with that are over. They're moving a lot and they're not fueling properly, and that's creating problems for them. And so that's something to think a little bit bit about, too. Like, if you're ramping up your exercise, even if you're not doing anything high intensity, but, like, let's say even if you just started walking for 45 minutes, 45 to 60 minutes, like, five times a week, Mm -hmm. let's say you do that, you're still going to need more calories than you were when you weren't walking. So it's just really important to understand that the calorie needs are going to go up as movement increases and if you're someone that's like a uh working out a decent amount your calorie needs are probably going to be a lot higher and so you want to take that into account when you're determining like what what to eat and how much to eat.
0: Yeah. And even like, you know, being a little bit more mindful of maybe your macros or just rough ballpark eyeballing So like on, I've shared my workout routine with you. So I'll do fitness, martial dance routines, or um, I got a set of, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, Power blocks. So it's like different weights within the same dumbbell set. So it's very compact. I got a set of power blocks um, a couple of months ago, and I've been doing some weightlifting in my living room as well. And on the days that I lift... I make a point. So my normal breakfast of choice, probably four or five days a week, my normal breakfast of choice is two eggs over hard with some fake dairy-free cheese on it. And then I'll have like a piece of toast with the Miyoko's dairy-free butter. And then sometimes I'll mix it up and have like some fruit or something else with it. But that's kind of my jam most days of the week. Mm -hmm. And on the days that I lift, I make a point to have a third egg. On the days mm-hmm. that I do, like, a full hour of fitness marshal and I'm, you know, shaking my tail feathers in the living room for right. like an hour, that's a little bit more cardio intensive. So on those days, a lot of the time I'll, I'll splurge and I'll have a second piece of gluten-free toast mm-hmm. or, you know, something to that effect where, like, on the days that I do a bit more cardio, I'll have a little bit more carbs. On the days that I do weightlifting, I'll make a point specifically to eat a little bit more protein. And, like give myself that fuel to build up the muscles bigger better stronger
1: yeah well and i i think that like culturally we're very calorie or calorie centric but in the opposite direction so like i feel like sometimes these like if you're moving if you're moving more or something it's not always super obvious just how we are culturally to increase more i know it seems yeah. like it would be obvious but i think just naturally it's not like necessarily built into our culture to be like, eat more calories! You don't really hear that message often. Ever. But one other thing I'll mention too, and we sort of touched on it a little bit with the a client I had, she was a runner. She was sort of frustrated with the limitations she had with running. I think she was running like two or three miles and wanted to get to like six miles. Um, But what she was finding is she was getting really intense cramping when she would eat following her runs mm-hmm. um and it brought up a question that again lucy mailing also talks about i can't remember if she talks about it in those articles or if we talked about it in our conversation on facebook i'll try to link to the conversation we had in in the facebook um face my facebook page in, for the, the, facebook. in the facebook in the facebook um You mean meta? Yeah, meta. Sorry, in the meta. I'm just gonna Um, start
0: calling it Skynet, to be honest. Yeah, that's the next progression anyway. So I'm just gonna start calling Facebook Skynet. Be done. Okay.
1: But um, Lucy, she she talks about how like the timing of food prior to like a more moderate to high intensity workout matters in terms of gut function. So like she says, if you're gonna do like a like a run or something you probably want to wait two hours from your meal so like if you eat you'd wait two hours before you would run okay so you wouldn't want to necessarily eat and then run 30 or 45 minutes later and then she says you probably want to wait like an hour 45 minutes to an hour after your workout to eat to allow you know blood flow to come back to the gut which is um, so
0: crazy because this is counter to what right. they teach in athletics. At least back in my yeah. day, I remember in college, so, like, 2004 to 2008-ish range. Because um, we, you know, for us, my school, we had a Division One rowing team. So, like, we had all the perks of being Division One. They gave us, like, right. free sweatpants. And we had athletic oh, trainers. Yeah. And we could... You know, we could go to athletic trainers, whatever we wanted. Um, But I remember they had a nutritionist come and talk to us once a year. And at the... I cringe now. At the time, I didn't pay like ultra attention to it. I mean, I did, but I wasn't like ultra invested in it because at the time I was like, I eat healthy. I'm a vegetarian. Right, right. And like, I didn't really think I needed to improve my nutrition very much, frankly, which... Anyway, but we had that every year. We had a nutritionist come in and talk to us or a dietitian—I forget which—and I forget which. And I don't know if it was, like, a student from the dietetics program or if it was, like, a licensed person. I don't know. But I remember we were always taught, and actually our coaches would borderline force us to do this. They insisted. So we had to be at the boathouse at 530 ready to run. And we would do, like, a two- or three-mile run for our warm-up before we got on the water. Right. 5.30 a.m., your sneakers are hitting the pavement, and you're going to go for that run, whether you want it or not. So what I would do for four years of my damn life, I woke up at 4.55 a.m., hated every moment of that, by the way. I am not a morning person. I woke up at 4.55 a.m., I would roll out of bed, barely functional, put on my spandex or whatever it was for my practice outfit throw out a coat if it was cold enough, grab a water bottle, and I would grab like a Lara bar or a power bar or some mm-hmm. crappy bar, and I would literally eat the power bar while I drove my car to the boathouse. So right. I was ingesting the power bar probably around like 8.15 a.m. Or I'm sorry, 5.15 a.m. <laughs> right. And then 15 minutes later, my ass was running two or three miles as the warm up before we actually got on the water to do the really intense stuff for, uh, for us right. at least. And it was like now i'm hearing you say this and i'm like oh but i remember our coaches insisted we had to eat something before practice and a couple of my my uh, teammates were like i can't like i can't stomach eating anything that early in the morning before i'm fully awake right and yeah so a lot of us would eat power bars or something like that and then similarly they would insist that we had to eat something immediately as soon as we got off the water like, we got oh off gosh. the water, we put the boat back on the rack, we put the oars back in the boathouse, and then food. And they would right. encourage us to bring a second power bar, or for a while, for a while, the athletic training department <sighs> got us these nasty, like, <sighs> so it was like horrible for the environment, disposable plastic jugs. Right. Of, like, yay big that you could fit, like, maybe eight ounces of water in. And it had this nasty like protein, electrolyte, amino acid drink in it that was supposed to taste like lemonade, but it was like lemonade and feet. It was gross. Oh my gosh. And they would, I remember the last year or two uh, that I rode, our our coach was all about this. And he would literally, he would stand in front of the boathouse as we were going back to our cars and he would just hand us one of these stupid things and insist that we had to fill it up with water, shake it up and drink it right there in front of him because it was always of the mindset of like you have to get calories in immediately you have right. to replenish your glycogen and you have to you have to you know replenish the nutrition immediately as soon as you're off the water and i look back now with this conversation and i'm like yeah it's no wonder my gastritis <laughs> started around that time it got worse well, in grad school but
1: dear well Lord. and and I think that that's a tricky time too, like waking up that early to train for for a long period of like time to train, yeah. I think makes it tricky. I, I know as I get older, like I can't train on an empty stomach, but like I can't train on a full stomach either. <laughs> so I'm like very yeah. finicky. Like I'm sort of in that range. Like if I have two hours, I'm fine. Maybe even like depending on what it is, if it's more low intensity or moderate intensity, I could probably swing like an hour and a half. Between yeah. before I started the meal. For things like walking, it's not really as important. but like if you're doing anything, that's a little bit more more higher intensity than that. I think it probably makes sense to have more fasting between one thing she brought up a study in one of the the four part series, too, where you know how like with some of the exercise, some of the, the people that are doing, like, marathons and stuff, they'll have those, like, power gels or, like... Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Or Gatorade. She has a study that she quoted in one of those articles where sugary drinks were shown to increase permeability to inflammation during exercise. Sure.
0: Because why not?
1: But I mean... Gatorade, by all means. Right. Um... But drinking cold water helps attenuate some of the the like heat type symptoms from the so mm-hmm. drinking cold water has been shown to help. Um, but Can you I think
0: drinking war- warm water when you're exercising.
1: You know who does that is um, the tennis player. I forget his first name, but it's Djokovic. Djokovic. Huh. He's like one of the better tennis players for the on the men's side. I think he drinks lukewarm water. I forget the reason. I remember hearing it and thinking, gross.
0: That's the only time in my life when I want cold water. It has to be a thousand degrees outside or I have to be exercising and then I want ice cold water. Otherwise, I am lukewarm all the way, all day, every day. Or tea, perhaps.
1: Yeah, well, and I, I think, again, there's also some studies, too, that also have certain compounds that can help attenuate some of the inflammation that can come in the from a gut standpoint when you do higher intensity exercise so if you're, you are someone that's like interested in that and you're building up to it in a smart way um depending on where you're at depending on how you're tolerating it if you're not tolerating it you might want to like table that to a different time but if you're tolerating the increase okay um, you can potentially do things the things that have been shown to help with Inflammation in the gut in exercise is our colostrum has been shown to help. Curcumin, zinc, glutamine have been shown to help sort of fortify the gut during exercise. Yeah. Um, you don't have to take them during it, but they've been shown to help if you take them kind of the day that you're yeah. exercising or whatever. It helps with the inflammation in the gut.
0: Makes sense. Especially um, if the mechanism is permeability.
1: Right. So, again, like, taking some of these, like, more anti-inflammatory, gut-fortifying type supplements could help if you're trying to, like, push yourself from a an intensity standpoint with exercise.
0: Yeah. And it's not to say, like, I just want to make this yeah. point half an hour into the episode. It's not that we're against intense exercise. And right. It's not that we're against weightlifting or long duration exercise. Like exercise is great. It's just you have to be smart with your body and what it's capable of handling. And you know, like you wouldn't go from being a couch potato who's never weight lifted in their entire life to trying to bench lift 500 pounds. Right, right. Right? Like that'd be dumb. But then why do people go from being a couch potato to trying to bench 75 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever it might be? Like that's It's to a less degree, but it's still done. Or like, why do people go from couch potato to, oh, I need to do CrossFit five days a week? Like, don't do that. Like, just give your body the space to adapt and have confidence that it will adapt. But don't beat your body up because it's the new year and you think that you need to whip your ass into shape or whatever it might be.
1: Right. There has to be a level of listening into how your body is doing and understanding where you're at at the, this point in time. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, again, like we should probably talk to you about like the overall benefits, I think, yeah. from a microbiome standpoint, f- from an exercise standpoint. Uh, I think, again, yeah. overall exercise can be very beneficial for the gut. Mm-hmm. You want to be careful of of not overdoing it. But I think from a microbiome standpoint, you have changes, increased diversity. Changes. This is like some of the stuff that um, Lucy Mailing talks about in some of her articles. Again, I wish we could have just had her on and just spewed this we're stuff. We're fangirling it up. We're um, fangirling.
0: Lucy, if you're listening, come on the podcast. I, we love you. Yeah, so we're gonna try, folks. We just haven't got around to it yet, but um, she's on our list of guests to acquire. For right,
1: and she podcast. could t- she could honestly talk about so many different topics. So, but. She talks about the different ways that movement helps the gut is increasing diversity, increasing butyrate levels, increasing beneficial microbes, decreasing the abundance of pathogens, decreasing pro-inflammatory cytokines, increasing antioxidants, increasing anti-inflammatory cytokines, and in- enhancing the immune function in the gut. So again, like in general, pretty much it's going to cover a lot of different have a lot of different benefits within the gut. I also think one other thing, and it sort of goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, where how exercise primes digestion. There are like limited studies um, that show there's one study in particular. It's like a stationary bike study where they had people go on a stationary bike for a period of time. And what they found was that the people that moved for half an hour on a stationary bike their bile flow increased by a factor of 10. Wow. And so again, like it's sort of this idea that movement primes some of the digestive yeah. juices. And again, I, I have, don't know if there's studies that prove that like from a stomach acid or pancreatic enzyme standpoint, but I think from it the bile standpoint, me. yeah, it, it's sort of it's going back to potentially the evolu- evolutionary roots yeah. of, yeah. hey, we were always meant to pair these two things together. Yeah. And, you know, doing it will help prime the digestive process in different ways.
0: Well, and even if you think about, like, from a neurology perspective, we've talked till the cows come home about the vagus nerve. And right. we know that the vagus nerve controls, to a large degree, it controls motility and mm-hmm. the synthesis and excretion of things like acid and bile and pancreatic enzymes. It helps fortify the gut barrier. It is anti-inflammatory for the liver, anti-inflammatory for the spleen, anti-inflammatory for everything from your neck down, basically. So vagal nerve tone is really, really important for promoting digestion. And if you think about it from this perspective, all of the so-called higher centers of your brain, so like your frontal lobes, temporal lobes, occipital lobes, parietal lobes, the cortex, the wrinkled part of your brain, and the cerebellum, the part of the nervous system that's in charge of movement, Mm -hmm. all of that fires down into the brainstem to a point where I've heard numbers, and I haven't fact-checked this, but I've heard numbers from people like Datis Carazian, where they've said that about 90% of the circuitry of our central nervous system directly fires into the vagal nerve nuclei Mm -hmm. and promotes vagal nerve function and tone.
1: And Mm -hmm. if you
0: think one of the best ways to stimulate the nervous system is through movement like your nervous system is just trying to interpret sensory cues and it's trying to give feedback to your to its own self about the world around it based on sensory perception so that could right. be things like sight or feeling the movement of your joints and your muscles in space and like motor planning and you know touching things like Anything that's a sensory stimulation, like exercise ultimately, is going to fire up those neurological pathways in the brain and the cerebellum. And then that's going to directly fire into your vagal nerve nuclei. And then, Mm. bam, you got vagal nerve tone out the wazoo. So it makes sense from a neurology perspective. It makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. And then it's icing on the cake that we're diversifying microbiome, increasing butyrate, right. increasing antioxidants, decreasing inflammatory signaling molecules, et cetera, et cetera. That's just, like, mwah,
1: right, Right. And I think that from a, a movement standpoint, if you're, like, if you were listening to this whole, like, past 40 minutes or whatever we've been on and you're, like, I do not have the problem of overexercising. I have the problem of, like, not really wanting to move as much, yeah. um, which, again, like, I think everyone goes through periods and some people might be more prone to like, this is just not my thing movement. I haven't found the movement that is my thing yet. You are not alone.
0: Then you need to go on YouTube and look up the fitness marshal. (laughs) That's all I have to say for those people. But continue.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, sometimes you can overcomplicate these things. We overcomplicate nutrition, I think, a lot. We overcomplicate. You know, what exercise is right for you or like what you need to be doing, this, that. And really, like the main thing is that you need to be moving on a regular basis. Like it seems so simple because it is. I think there could be extra benefits by like diversifying your movement. But at the same time, like you're still going to be way ahead of the game if you're just going on walks every day. You know, you're going to get so many nice benefits, even from just walking or finding another movement that you you like. And again, trying to find things. Yeah, trying to find something something you're actually going to enjoy.
0: Yeah, well, because and I can tell you for firsthand experience, for sure, if you if you beat yourself up mentally and tell yourself, oh, you're a lazy piece of crap, you need to go to the gym. I don't have quite that dialogue. But if you're telling yourself you're a lazy piece of shit, you need to go to the gym and exercise and you need to force yourself to do it and suck it up and just do it. Guess what? You're gonna go to the gym, like every other Joe Schmo in America. You're gonna go to the gym for like a week, maybe two weeks, at New Year's because that's when everybody does this. When you have to get yourself in shape, you're gonna go to the right. gym for one or two weeks, and then you're gonna fall off the wagon, and then you're never gonna go back to that damn gym again. Right. Versus, and I did that. Like I, it's not that I don't enjoy. It's so hard. Like again, I was a I was an athlete in college, and. Like, I got to a point where I genuinely enjoy running on treadmills and I enjoy weightlifting. But it's like getting me to the gym and getting me, like, dressed and ready. It's like once I'm exercising, I like it. But it's that hump of getting it carved out in my day and actually motivating myself to get to the gym that I've always struggled with when I don't have a team of 60 people and a medieval coach waiting for me on the docks at University of Buffalo. Like, that, you know, that was very motivating for me. But... You know, it was like I finally kind of realized a few years ago that I was forcing myself to go to the gym. And the fact that I was forcing myself meant that I was never going to be compliant with it. And it was probably not great for my vehicle tone. Versus when I started doing just the fitness marshal and I got a pair of just like free weights to have in my living room. And now I could like adjust the weight depending on what I'm doing. Now I'm like, oh, okay. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to put out a special outfit. I can literally exercise in a sports right. bra on a crappy pair of shorts in my living room and nobody's going to see me. And like, it, I don't have to expend all of that additional effort to get my ass to the gym because it's everything's right. just in my living room and on my TV. So for me, that's worked. Some people might like the group environment or get really motivated by a group environment. So things like joining a CrossFit gym or Orange Theory or a yoga class or A bar class or, you know, a jazzercise class. By the way, did you know that jazzercise still exists? I did not. We have one in Chapel Hill. Last I knew, it's amazing. I mean, Mm. I like the fitness martial stuff even better because each dance is unique. Jazzercise is like they have certain moves and each dance incorporates like certain moves. Right. You know, so it's like once you kind of learn the moves, it's all semi the same to me at some point. Right. But I did go for a brief period of time and it still exists and it is fabulous. And those those people have an appreciation for Wacky Spandex, which I do appreciate because I have a collection.
1: Right. Well, um, go ahead. Did you have any? Sorry. Yeah, I forgot. You You go. Okay. sorry. I, um, (laughs) I, I feel like with movement. We were talking about it earlier, but it it does take a little bit of time to probably learn your sweet spot. So there might be times where you're like, oh, I overdid it. And that's okay. Like, it's not like I don't I wouldn't want you to beat yourself up and be like, I overdid it, you know, like it's easy to sort of go down that road. But it's more just like I would look at it as a learning experience. So like or something to build curiosity around like, oh, that was just like too much for me today. I'm going to make sure to like maybe go down 20 percent the next time I do it. And I think again, I've gotten better through time at it. I mean, I was definitely prone to overexercising early on, and I've just gradually gotten better at figuring out what my threshold is. But like for me, honestly, I feel best doing like two moderate, maybe some high intensity components within the moderate intensity work. But like the the, I'll go to a gym class usually once a, once a week with a group, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Like, I like having the group setting. It's fun. We're laughing the whole time. We're yeah. usually complaining about stuff together, like trying to bargain with the trainer. No burpees, uh, anything but Right. Burpees. Right. It's more... He does a lot of, like, crawling. I hate oh. crawling. Crawling is so hard. But like we'll we'll complain together about it, and then I'll usually do one like weight workout at my house, and then mm-hmm. other than that, I do walking most days. Yeah. So it doesn't. I think sometimes when people then go, I gotta like get into an exercise routine. It's like they think that they have to go to the gym four five to days five week. days, right? Yeah. And it's like you need to figure out what 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 your goals are, and you know what feels good to you. And then just kind of take the feedback that your body's giving and try to learn from that. Because sometimes if I go to like the three or four days a week of more like hard training, my body does not like that at this point. Yeah. It could be different at different periods. Yeah, it could be different at different periods of time too. Like if I'm under less stress, I could probably tolerate more. But, you know, it's, I think the last time I tried to up was like maybe before the wedding. I'm like, ah, like try to bump up a little bit. And then I was like, nah. Nah, I think I'm just going to bump down again. Because, again, I, I can feel it from an energy standpoint. I can usually feel it from a sleep standpoint Yeah. Uh, if I overdo it. Like, I can feel my nervous system sort of going more into fight or flighty if I yeah. overdo it. Yeah. But again, it takes time to kind of understand those cues.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, you have to cut yourself some slack, ultimately. Right. And not beat yourself up. Again, like, I... Similarly, I, um... Again, like in college, my benchmark, which will probably be stuck in my head until I'm 80 years old, which is so dumb that I'm like, at some point the brain lesion just becomes absurd, but I'm going to run with it. But it's like my benchmark in my mind is working out and training really hard, usually doing two a days, at least six days a week, sometimes seven, depending like if we had a regatta and we would do like heats one day and semifinals and like finals on another day. So Mm -hmm. there were weeks where I was working out intensely seven days a week. And there were many more weeks where we were training very intensely six days a week. And Mm -hmm. now I look at what I'm doing now and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like this is where I'm at now. Similarly, I'll do like usually 50 or 60 minutes of fitness martial routines, probably twice a week is my norm right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I just, I like have fun with it. I kind of lose track of time. And right. those are the mornings where, like, I don't have early appointments and I can kind of give myself that flexibility. And then maybe once a week, sometimes twice a week, but not often, I'll do some weightlifting at home. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like it doesn't have to be this giant, giant thing. You can get a lot of benefit from a couple times of exercise a week or walking or even like I did a webinar um, last week, not for you guys listening, because we are a little bit ahead on recording, but I think this one will be coming out in December. So in early November, I did a webinar about like managing your IBS and preventing flares in the holiday season. And I streamed it on my YouTube channel. And one of the things that I said was getting movement, but I made the point of saying, you know, if you can exercise, great. But even if you can't exercise, just make a point to move. So Mm -hmm. if you're like at your parents' house for Christmas And, you know, there's all the hustle and bustle of, like, decorating and wrapping presents and making cookies and making dinner and having the uncles over and whatever. Even if it's something little, like if your mom is like, oh, we need to get the mail. Oh, okay. Like, I'll go get the mail for you, Mom. Like, even that could be, I mean, my parents' house, their mailbox is like a quarter of a mile away because they live on a dirt road. Right. So for me, it would be like a half a mile of walking that I otherwise wouldn't get. But even if you just walk down the driveway and get the mail and come back, that's a little bit of movement that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But it doesn't require you to make any big thing of it. You can incorporate movement in little ways in your life. Or like, I'm always the weirdo. Whenever I go to an airport, you know, there's like the stairs and the escalator. And 99% of people are smooshed together on the escalator. And it's understandable to a degree because a lot of them have suitcases in their hand. But even when I have my carry-on suitcase in my hand or a big backpack on or something, I am hauling my ass up that flight of stairs. I would have to have a broken leg to not do that damn flight of stairs because it's like, I'm going to sit on an airplane and then I'm going to be visiting family or visiting friends and I'm going to be on my ass hanging out with them. Right, Right. I'm going to get the movement in where I can. So even just something basic like that, like just take the stairs when you have the opportunity can be a good way to incorporate a little bit more movement in your life.
1: Right, no, I think that you're exactly right, and I always like some I get jealous sometimes of professions that like have a lot of movement built in, like I'll talk mm-hmm. to nurses, and it's like they're getting like six thousand eight thousand steps just at work oh, at because they're yeah. walking everywhere, and it's like, oh, that must be nice to just like your day is, and then they probably like are jealous of me that I get to sit. most of the day we all want what we can't have but like that's something to think about too like you might need a little your movement needs might be different depending on how much you're moving in your lifestyle um because i i was talking to a client who's a nurse yesterday and we i actually told her she (laughs) i felt bad so she's like oh i have to carry two iphones for work but i was like oh could you carry your iphone because it can kind of track steps um so I was like can you carry that around your day just so, so that we can see like what your what your movement is during the day um like what how many steps you're getting typically during the day yeah because we were trying to determine like she does she is a goes to a personal trainer a couple times a week like would it what is it something we should focus on to add, try to add a couple of walks as well in the week mm-hmm. or is she getting enough sort of walking in potentially during her day and we can divert energy to something else So it's kind of like checking in to see, okay, that's something to consider is, okay, if you have a lifestyle that's pretty, like, um, movement-oriented, and you're not sitting sedentary all day, like us, um, you might need less kind of extra movement um, compared to other people. Yeah,
0: like, I could imagine, um, like, retail, or if you're a waiter or waitress or a nurse, or a doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe doctor. I think, largely, I would say doctors could fall into that. Um, Especially if you're, like, walking around a hospital. Maybe less so in a private clinic. Um, Yeah, like, making deliveries, potentially. Right. Um, Right, like, those
1: Amazon drivers and stuff, they're, like, going in and out of the car for, like, I don't know how many hours they do that. And some of them are, like, running. I'm like, you can walk my package up. You don't need to run. But maybe they're in a hurry. Like maybe they're probably
0: in a hurry. Not for you specifically, but to a quota or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a valid point. And I would say the converse, the flip side to this, though, is that those professions that are on their feet, go, 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 walking a whole ton probably are in some degree of fight or flight mode that entire time. Right. And then oftentimes these are the professions who have a really hard time settling down and having a proper lunch break in their day. Or oh, my gosh. A break or something. Yes. And then it's like, even if they do, you know, even if you can talk to these people about, like, yo, this is deal breaker material. We need you to take a lunch break. And they're like, okay, I can take, like, five or ten minutes. And it's like, Ugh.
1: Right. Okay, but we need at I'll least 20,
0: 25. Yeah, like, you need to, you know, sit and just sit on your ass and defragment and look at Instagram for five minutes just to defragment your brain. And then, maybe start eating your food, but again, it's like oh. those go go, go professions, yeah, they're getting more movement, but their nervous system also toast
1: right so. well, it reminds me of my sister, so she used to work for this guy um and i I think they they were, they ended on good terms, but and there was no bad blood or anything, but she switched to a different person, but her old boss used to like have want to do these like meetings these like leadership meetings at lunch break like where they're where she would give them reading material and then they would like have to talk about it like he'd be like what does leadership mean to you like you know he would and she would be so annoyed because she's like i've just like been working on little kids teeth for like four hours i want to take this break like she would be so annoyed that she would have to like Kind of be on for her boss in the middle yeah. of the day when she wants to have like a thirty-minute lunch break.
0: Yeah, um, I feel but... like that could have been a really good office episode. Right, you know? right. Like I know they definitely have some about like leadership and stuff, but I'm just yeah. I'm picturing what does leadership mean to you? Right. Let's discuss. Right. Like, oh
1: god. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we exercise missed.
0: is good for you for sure. If there's anything. Anything we can say. It's exercise is good. You just, like you said, it's a hormetic effect. No Mm -hmm. exercise is not so good. Sub-exercise is good. Too much exercise is not so good. So you want to find that sweet spot. And again, that can be different. Keep in mind, too, I'll throw this out there as well. What it takes to overtrain you is going to be dependent on your level of physical fitness and where you are in your healing journey. So I kid you not. Um, I started working with a woman in the last month or two. We've only had a, maybe two or three appointments so far. Um, she's already making good progress. But one of the things that came up is, like, she's finally pooping. And she feels like she's doing a bit better. And we've already talked. Like, she's, you know, kind of a competitive type A driven personality type. And she mentioned on our last call together that, oh, and I'm going back and doing Orange Theory try to get back at, you know, doing Orange Theory. I forget what she said, like, three or four times a week. And I was like, I love that for you. I do. Right, right. But I've done Orange Theory. It's intense. Yeah. That's no joke. And I was like, that might be a bit much for you where you're at right now. Like, she was so unwell that she had to take time off. She had to take a week or two off of her job and, like, fly to a different part of the country and stay at her parents' house for a week or two. And like adjusting to some new medications and new supplements. And like she's had a lot of shit going on for a lot of years. And it really has been pretty clusterfucky in 2021, to be honest. And then as soon as she makes this bit of progress, she's like, back in the gym, intense, orange deer. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And funny enough, she was a rower. So we got to talk about that. But I was like, I love that you're exercising. I love that you want to exercise. I do. But also, can you like dial it back? maybe 25% or 50% just give your body a little bit of space to heal because holy shit, man. Right. Um, So keep that in mind too. Like if you're really unwell and you have really bad symptoms or if you've been sick for a long period of time, you might need to give your body months to really heal and get used to the idea of exercising period before you're able to do the really intense stuff or before you're able to do exercise, you know, Three, four, five, 18 times a week. Right. You gotta right. chill out a little bit if you're still healing. You don't want to fry your poor body just, just at the beginning of a healing plan.
1: Agreed. I think, again, the stress of what's going on in the gut yeah. is, is something to consider that could prevent you from even getting the benefits from the exercise because yeah. your body needs to be able to mount kind of the hormetic type effect if there's too much stress, it just won't happen. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's a wrap, guys. I think executive summary. Exercise is good. Just don't do too much. Yes. Love it. Yeah. And find something that you enjoy. Otherwise, you're just going to fry your nervous system and you're not going to be compliant anyhow. So find something that you really enjoy and just go with that. Stick with that and make it your own thing. Like, just because cousin Susie does CrossFit doesn't mean you have to do CrossFit. And just because Bethany from work does yoga doesn't mean you have to do yoga. Find something that you enjoy that your body does well with and just do that. It's it's as simple as that. Look, an entire bachelor's degree in exercise science, and I summed it up in like two sentences.
1: Who knew? Excellent. Excellent. But guys, you know
0: the drill. If you are listening to this on a podcasting app, such as iTunes or Apple... Uh, podcast, if you could please rate this podcast five stars. That would be deeply, deeply appreciated, and that does help other people find the podcast and get the help that they need. If you're listening on YouTube, go ahead and leave a comment down below, like the video, etc., and we will try to get back to your comments someday in the future when we do our Instagram Q&As. Again, make sure that you're following both myself at Triangle Guts and Amy at Amy underscore HollandCamp underscore RD on Instagram, And that way, when we go live for our weekly or almost weekly Q&As, then you could stay tuned and you can tune in for that. And we're going to cover Q&A from our YouTube comments as well as live Q&A with people who tune in live. And I think that's a wrap. We will see you right back here for another amazing, amazing, awesome episode of the IBS Freedom Podcast next week.